You're listening to Radio Free Satan. Enjoy the show. I would like it, if I may, to take you upon a strange journey. Welcome to another episode of Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It's great to have you. It is January 8th, and I've got a great show for you this week. I'm feeling a little bit under the weather. I'm struck by a cold uh, Friday night, uh, and this recording is on a Sunday, so I've been fighting it for a couple days. I think, uh, I think I've got the upper hand of this thing. But still, my voice isn't 100%. Certainly, my energy level is not 100%. Uh, But I'm going to do what I can, bring you a fantastic show, because that's the kind of guy I am. That's how I roll. You know what I mean? Alright, so like I said, I do have a great show for this week. Before I start the show, I want to talk to you about Radio Free Satan. Last week, I told you that there's going to be um, prizes, essentially, or incentives, we're going to call them. Because they're not prizes incentives for those of you who donate specific increments of money to Radio Free Satan. Now, I do need to have this verified before I toss out these incentives to you. So you can, you know, you you can send me a copy of the invoice. Um, You can copy and paste the uh, uh, transaction ID number of uh, the donation but once you do, if you send me $10, I'm going to send you a specific MP3 that was done by a number of uh, really passionate devils. And uh, this MP3 is a very powerful song. Uh, and I'm going to leave it a little bit vague like that. However, uh, it's a very good song. You will all know what it is. And uh, it is done in a style that it is an homage to the Satanic Empire. I'll say that. Um, And that's for $10. So, you send in $10, you send me a copy proving that you did it, and I'm going to send you this MP3. You send in $20 and send me a copy to prove it, and I'm going to send you an e-book of my children's book. You send in $50, and I'm going to send you a t-shirt. Nine cents t-shirt. That's right, nine cents. Now, all of this, it's all just an incentive, it's free, so hopefully you're going to be donating anyway, because Radio Free Satan is worth donating to. The audience that hears my voice and hears the other fine shows on Radio Free Satan um, really should be reaching out and uh, in that time of year, in the time of need, when Radio Free Satan has to pay their dues... Well, maybe you would think about, you know, passing a 5, 10, 20, or 50 buck uh, note in appreciation for what Radio Free Satan offers. It isn't something that we bug you about all year round, and there, in fact, is no official drive going on. It's just noted on their website that it's time to pay the bills, and so uh, I'm going to do my part. 
and I'll probably stop doing it at the end of January, so you got a month of listening to me, you know, four episodes of me trying to bug you to donate a little bit, a little bit of Skrilla, just a little taste, give Radio Free Satan a little taste of your love, and I don't think it's asking that much, quite frankly. So, if you're capable, if you appreciate what Radio Free Satan has to offer, donate a little bit of uh, what you can so that we can keep doing it, so that it can stay up, and so that we can pay the artists that some of our shows play songs of, and everyone gets a taste of what's right. Uh, also, last week I had mentioned that I was tossed around the idea of doing a column. Kind of like an advice column. Well, if this is something that you would be interested in reading in the various publications out there, not only made by members of the Church of Satan, but really anywhere that would want to include such a thing, if it's something that you would be interested in seeing, send me some letters, send me your questions, send me your advice inquiries. And uh, if I get enough of them in a quarterly period, then it is something that I'll do. And you can be a part of what I think could be a very entertaining uh, little column. Ideally, this is something that would take off on its own, and it's really just that startup period that we're in right now that if it is something that you're interested in, then I'm going to need your help to do it. So, help me out if you can. The rest of this month, as I noted last week, is going to be devoted to the book Lilith Awakened, edited by Ann Oxier. I talked with Ann Oxier, and I'm going to be delivering that interview today. I was a little taken aback during the interview, as there are moments in it that are very graphic. So, be aware of that as you're listening to the show. And if it's something that you're not comfortable hearing, well then, this might be the only podcast I tell you to not listen to. Um, It is a very personal and powerful story that she shares with us. And it's one that colors what to expect. And I'm doing this because I was raised by very, very powerful women who, at a point, found themselves at the end of an insecure man's fists. I I have a, a strong part of me that identifies with powerful women because of this. Um... Anne is certainly one of those women that I think are um, strong, courageous, and with the help of Josephine Seven and a lot of other very, very powerful women have put together this book, and, and I think it's something worth talking about. Maybe more than some of the stuff that I've talked about in the past, um, certainly in the Creature Feature segment, but in this show as a whole. And and we're going to talk about this in some of the interviews for the rest of the month, but part of what makes Satanism such an amazing religion is that it empowers women rather than degrades them, like a lot of the Islamic Judeo-Christian faiths. Um, And, you know, you can even look at it where Satanism doesn't necessarily empower women, but it doesn't take power from them. Um, like other religions do. And that can be seen as empowering them. Satanism provides the tools to overcome adversity, and Loth Awakened is 
sort of the exercise of that. So go pick it up if you haven't already. And I'm going to be bringing you the, that interview with Ann Oxer about Lilith Awakened in the Creature Feature segment uh, in the second half of the show. In the first half of the show with The Devil's Advocate, part 8 of 9, How to Be God of the Devil. In Infernal Informant, Islamists secure lead in Egyptians' parliamentary elections and should the rich lose their social security benefits. Hmm. Let's talk about it. You never know. And I might bring you Bizarre the Bizarre. I'm not going to tease it. If I have time, we'll do it. If not, no big whoop. And that'll do it for another episode of Nine Cents on this 8th of January. I hope you stick around for the entirety because it's going to be a great one. If you have a chance, donate to Radio Free Satan and The Devil's Advocate starts right now. Why bother? How you done? Great. Let's cut the bullshit and get real. Why this purity you feel about evil? For Christ's sake, why? It don't lie to me. I guess, Father. You gotta feel that old nick in your soul. And it becomes clear. Like it did for me, the first time. That's when I realized my one true calling in life. And what's that? Shit, man. <laughs> I'm a born devil's advocate. Welcome to the devil's advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm a member of the Church of Satan. But I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. In our continuing analysis of how to be God of the Devil. Number one, don't advertise. Two, never be fashionable. Three, you must be creative. Four, you must have style. Five, a sense of humor is a must. Six, always harbor some doubt, even about yourself. Last week we talked about being aware of your own mortality, and this week you must be perceptive enough to see things as they really are, not how you might have been taught by others who stand to gain from your ignorance. And that essentially is the third perspective that this show is founded upon, that ideal of the alternate point of view. And that idea that is so common in Satanism in question all things. There are very real human motivations for everything that you are told and that you are taught in life. Someone stands to gain for everything that you are taught and told. And it is your responsibility, not only as a grown-up, as a human being, as a Satanist, to evaluate that, but to use perspective to understand why. And what you gain from understanding why are tools that you can use to not only convince those people, but others around you throughout all of mankind, the herd as it were, to bend your will. It's a very powerful tool in your toolbox for lesser magic. It's, it's huge. 
having perspective and understanding others' motivations for what they say and do and what they tell you is invaluable. Truly. If, if, you know, listening to the news, for example, on a particular viewpoint about um, world affairs, um, well, from an American audience, it's obvious that they're trying to not only give their own propaganda um, pro-America stance, but chances are they're also probably trying to shout down ideals that are held in high regard by other countries, thereby sort of um, feeding that that patriotic and idealistic agenda. And this is best uh, realized through uh, cable networks like MSNBC or Fox News. Uh, they're the most brazen about it. Uh, school. I mean, the entire American school system was structured around the idea of not necessarily educating its population, but creating good manufacturers. They wanted to provide you with just enough information to feel like you knew what you were doing and just enough uh, information so that you wouldn't question things. So that you could be a good bee, a good worker bee. Everything in life is powered um, by a a human being who stands to gain. Um, The most obvious of these is religion. The most blatantly obvious. The only religion that I know of that doesn't have a structure to gain anything out of its members is the Church of Satan. Because rather than trying to convince you of things or trying to convince you to vote certain ways or trying to get you to send them their money for whatever reason on a monthly basis or every week at the collection plate, they tell you to not give. They tell you to question. They tell you to understand why others do it. They tell you to be a human being. And that's what's great about it. I mean, a lot of us were raised in an environment where we were told what to think, how to behave, and who to believe. And the only people that stood to gain from that were parents, local leaders, uh, or organizational leaders like the church. And that's the only way they can keep control of you. Well, you know what? Shake loose those shackles as a Satanist, because that's all propaganda. That's all human attempts at controlling other people. And we don't allow that to happen. Look for that third perspective. Try to understand why people are telling you to do things. What? Ask yourself, what do they gain from it? And what do you stand to gain or lose by it? And at some point, you might come to the realization that, you know what? For X amount of time, it is going to benefit me to do what they say. Because at a future time, you can use that as power against them or to push them in another direction of your choosing. What's important is that you don't go through life just with blinders on saying, well, it it doesn't directly affect me. There's no point in worrying about it. I'm just going to focus on this. Well, guess what? It does. In in this example I'm going to give here, it's specifically about politics. You are affected by it. You're affected by the decisions of very... usually, religious people in your local cities, towns, uh, states, and government. 
it is your responsibility to uh, get involved and, and change things for what you see as the better. Uh, and you know what? Quite frankly, if you think it's better to go along with those religious ideas, that's your choice. And that's how you want to play your hand. Well, more power to you. Um, and that's one of the great things, again, about Satanism and, and the very large tent that it is, is that you can have very, very, well, <laughs> varied opinions about things. You know, there's no one accepted religion or one accepted candidate in any specific uh, race. <clears throat> I'm delivering you one my perspective of reality with this podcast, but it may differ quite drastically with your own. If it does, I appreciate you still listening. <laughs> um, but, you know what? Ask yourself what I stand to gain from the perspective that I give you. Um, I mean, I can sum it up here pretty easily in audience. <laughs> that's that's all I'm out to, out to get. I'm, I'm here to entertain. So, <laughs> that's, that's my motivational factor there. Um, but, for, for your radio newsmen, for your anchors on the TV stations that you may or may not uh, watch, and for the politicians and family members and societal leaders that uh, you are told what to think by, question, see their perspective, understand it, and use it for your own benefit. That's going to do it for this Devil's Advocate. Up next is the Infernal Informant. This article is the Daily Finance, Should the Rich Lose Their Social Security Benefits, uh, by Dan Kaplinger, posted uh, the 5th. Millions of Social Security recipients get minimum wage benefits that are barely enough to make ends meet. At the other end of the spectrum, though, many retirees who could get by just fine without any Social Security payments at all receive much larger monthly benefits from the government. With Social Security in crisis, does it make sense to give those big payouts to the people who paid the most in taxes along the way or should they be forced to sacrifice those benefits for those who are less fortunate? Before you decide whether the government should cut off rich retirees from part or all of their Social Security benefits, let's first look at exactly how high-income earners get treated under Social Security currently. What the wealthy get from Social Security Under current law, Social Security benefits get calculated based on your average income throughout your career. The more you make, the higher your benefits are, up to the yearly maximum on which the government collects Social Security taxes, $110,100 for 2012. But what many don't realize is that in figuring your monthly check, not all earnings are created equal. The first seven to $800 in average monthly earnings counts the most, turning into $0.90 cents of benefits per $1 of income. Above that level, the increases in benefits gets lower, $0.32 cents per $1, up to about $4,600 in 2012, and $0.15 cents per $1 above that. Uh, 
So even though top wage earners get more benefits, they don't get as much more in benefits as their higher earnings would suggest. Furthermore, many high-income retirees pay taxes on as much as 85% of their Social Security benefits. For top bracket retirees, that has the same impact as slashing almost 30% off their monthly checks. Two ways to look at the issue. Obviously, arguments for and against giving Social Security to the rich create strong emotions. On one hand, high-income earners pay a lot of money in Social Security taxes, and with the tapered benefit structure, many feel that they already don't get their fair share of what they put into Social Security system. If Social Security calculated benefits without the earnings breakpoints described above, then high-income earners would get much more in their monthly retirement checks. On the other side of the argument... Many believe that the purpose of Social Security isn't to give people payback for the payroll taxes they've had withheld from their paychecks throughout their lifetimes, but rather to provide an economic safety net for all workers, with insurance for disabilities and other hardships as well as retirement benefits. Social Security acts as a supplement for those who need it. Proponents of measures like means testing argue that if you don't actually need the money, you shouldn't get benefits. Does rolling back benefits for the rich really help? The bigger question, though, is whether cutting benefits for the rich would actually do any good. A 2011 study from the Progressive Center for Economic and Policy Research concluded that phasing out benefits as income levels rose would have little or no effect on Social Security's viability going forward, especially when you consider the ways that the rich would respond to the move. Right now, 90% of benefits go to individuals with less than $50,000 of annual income, not including what they get in Social Security. In order to have a market impact on Social Security's finance health, a means test would have to hit far more than just the very rich. More importantly, the added costs of administering a means test would offset any savings. Still, the practical impact of means testing doesn't change the way many people feel about the fairness of the program. As long as Social Security remains in financial trouble, reformers will look at cutting back on benefits for the rich as a possible solution to a much bigger problem. Alright, so here's, here's my take on this. If you pay into something, you deserve that back. If you pay into something with the idea that at some point you're going to get something back from it, you should get whatever that is back. Period. Uh, no questions asked. You, throughout your entire young adult and adult life, paid taxes. Part of that, specifically going to Social Security. And what you earn at the point that you qualify for that means nothing. Because you still paid for it when you weren't making that. You still paid for it when you weren't expecting to be successful. For whatever reason, it doesn't matter. You paid your dues. Now your dues are owed. You deserve that. And if it's only 90% of all Social Security earners that are in that bracket of questioning whether they should get it, the very rich, um... It's not going to really make that or save that much money if we don't give the money back to them. But it'll save some. Will it offset it? No, it won't. But it'll save some. So let's say that you're on the side of stealing this money from this 10% 
that had paid into Social Security. Because essentially, that's exactly what you're doing. They put money into something expecting you to get a return on it, and you are taking that return away from them. First off, would you like it if they did that to you? And quite literally, the Republicans did it during the Bush era to pay for the Iraq war. But um, for this argument here, um, you know, I don't think you would like it if someone did that to you. And I say to you because <clears throat> I would be shocked if the very rich had time that this article is talking about that would stand to lose money or lose benefits from getting the Social Security taken away have time to listen to my podcast. I'm going to be quite frank here. <laughs> I don't see that that demographic listening. Um, so I'm going to say you as the ambiguous person standing to gain over uh, in this specific case. But if people really do think that there would be some form of benefit for stripping these rights away, this right to money, these benefits that people paid into, well, why not give a little incentive back? All right, tax write-off. If you're going to steal money from someone that, you know, let's face it, probably really doesn't need it in the first place, well, how about you just give them a little write-off? You know, drop down their taxable income bracket a little bit to offset that cost. Now, you would have to look at the over-under on whether or not that would be really a benefit in the long run, and people, actually, it, it might not be a benefit because the amount these people are paying in taxes are going to be significantly higher than they're getting back on their Social Security. But you never know. You know, someone's going to have to do that that evaluation. That would be my solution. Uh, but who knows? I mean, the bottom line is if you pay into something your whole life and then suddenly when it comes time for you to earn, you know, make that money back, someone says, eh, no, you don't really need it. Well, it's not their choice. There should be an option then for you to opt in or opt out at some point. And if there is that option, then there's no problem in situations like this. So... We should say, you know what, if you make X amount of money and you don't want to contribute to the Social Security benefit, then opt out. Everything you've paid in for into up-to-date will count toward whatever earnings you can make when you become eligible. But from that point on, you're on your own. And if that's a decision that you want to make, more power to you. I mean, we're always talking about personal responsibility and ownership society, especially in the George Bush years. Well, let's do that. Let's do that with Social Security. Uh, I mean, if they're going to stand to gain the most and they don't want to pay into it, well, then let's take them off the bracket and only have it affect those that need that effect. That's my perspective. All right, the next article here, Islamist secure lead in Egypt's parliamentary elections. And this is by uh, Lely Fidel, published January 7th. Cairo. Islamist parties, as expected, secured Saturday a, a majority of seats in the lower house of Egypt's first post-revolution parliament, setting the stage for intense political deal-making before the legislature meets at the end of the month. According to party projections, Islamists won about 62% of the popular vote in the final round of the multi-phased elections, although the final result will not be known until after runoffs for individual seats are held this week. The Freedom and Justice Party, the political wing of the Muslim Brotherhood, is now clearly the most powerful political force in the first elected body since Hosni Mubarak's ouster in February, with no one party winning an outright majority. 
Freedom and Justice said in a statement on its website that it appears to have won 41% of the seats in the lower house, followed by 21% for the ultra-conservative Salafist Noor party. Whatever alliance the relatively moderate Islamist party cobbles together is likely to control both the legislature's agenda and the makeup of a body that will write the country's constitution, analysts say. The lower house, known as the People's Assembly, is the most important body in Egypt's bicameral system. It includes 498 seats chosen by voters and an additional 10 to be chosen by the country's interim military rulers in their capacity as Egypt's de facto presidential authority. Observers are watching to see whether the Brotherhood's party will, will turn right to ally with Noor party or left to make the common cause of centrist liberals and leftists. I'm trying to grab the Muslim Brotherhood into a coalition with liberal members and not to have them be forced into an alliance with the Salafis, said Shadi Taha, who ran and lost an election as a member of the Liberal God Party. Not God, Gad, G-H-A-D which is already allied with freedom and justice. For now, the Brotherhood's party has made it clear that it has no plans to ally with the Noor party, which follows a rigid form of Islam. Members have proposed mandating headscarves for women, and one called for segregated workplaces. Nader Bakar, a party spokesman, has said it will also seek to ban on alcohol, which is forbidden in Islam, but is important to Egypt's tourist industry. But if it fails to garner the support of liberals in the parliament, the Freedom and Justice Party may be forced to ally with Noor. If liberals turn their back on them, the Salafis will be the Muslim Brotherhood's Plan B, Taha said. With almost all results out, members of the Freedom and Justice Party and liberals who joined its coalition are expected to begin settling their agendas. When the complete picture of the parliament is clear, discussions will start with other players and everything will depend on their willingness to join. And Amr Dereg, Secretary General of the Giza branch of the Freedom and Justice Party in Cairo, I don't think we will have a clear collaboration between us and the Noor Party as a coalition. I think that they'll be in the opposition. While 15 to 16 parties will be represented in the next parliament, analysts say they expect only about 1.5% of seats will be held by women. A quota for women was struck when the new election law and replaced with the rule that at least one woman be included on each party list. Elections for the less powerful upper house will begin January 29th. Special correspondent Iggy Hasib contributed to this report. So this is taking just sort of um, an overall stance of saying that the conservatives in Egypt won the most seats and are now the most influential as it stands. I don't... Here's something that I've never understood. Why a minority of people are shocked when the majority reach out and exercise the rights given them. How is that a shock? So if the majority of Egypt's inhabitants are Islamic and they want a conservative Islamic rule... Why are people stunned and surprised when that's what they make? And this is something that I brought up when Mubarak was first ousted and the military refused to even give elections initially. And, and then the elections were pushed off and pushed off and now they've happened. And this should not be a surprise to anyone at all. And, I'm, you know, we're, we live in a world where I'm of a firm belief that if you don't like what's going on in the environment you're in, move to a different environment. If you are one of those ultra-liberal individuals in Egypt, 
Hell, you know, I'll make a blanket statement here. If you're one of those liberal individuals in the Middle East, what are you doing living in an Islamic-dominated area? You're literally asking yourself to be tormented by the will of others. You are begging them to stop you from exercising what you perceive as your right to be and to think. If you're a woman in these areas, and right now, actually, in Egypt... Um, women are making a stance and uh, having riots and there's actually a big movement on on pro-woman ideas in Egypt. That's going to be something that it's not convincing the people. It's not convincing the army. It's convincing the religious. And as I stated at the top of this show, religion, Islamic Judeo religions, treat women like shit. They always have. They don't see them as equals. That's the way those religions are founded. And that's why everyone that listens to my show doesn't believe in that, because it's an absurd notion. If there's one thing that's as close to an idea of uh, a natural god, that's woman. How, how can, It is only out of fear and ignorance that you would try to shout that down. So, you know what? Hey, if, if you're a bunch of women in Egypt and you don't like that this is happening, well, you don't have to stay there. Move. <laughs> I'm sure they'll start to rethink their ideas if women just suddenly up and leave. Uh, and you know what? If they don't let you, then rage against that machine. Have more riots. Fight for what you perceive as your rights. Um, to party. <laughs> a little. Uh, but realistically... There should be no surprise when the majority of Egyptian citizens are Islamist that they elect an Islamic leadership and then try to change laws for their ideals. I mean, that stuff happens in America, too. No matter where you are, it's something that happens. Of course, in America, it's not as extreme, but it still happens. So, you know, if you can't get the numbers in your area that you live in, then get out of that area. You know, you're not landlocked. In this day and age, you do not have to stay where you live, where you were born. Uh, You can move. So if you don't like it in that area, move. It's simple. What you shouldn't do is complain about it and then, you know, not do anything to change it. I don't understand. And and, and here's another thing. If, if, If liquor is, and just alcohol itself, is important to your national trade and you as a country, elect a party that will restrict that, outright ban it in this particular case, and then your economy suffers for it, there has to be some point where that citizenship like starts to question things, right? I mean, I say this, but I live in Utah, and they have ridiculous liquor laws here, and have for a long time, and it's hurt our our own tourism. If we didn't have snow in this state, we would be screwed. But since we do have that snow, it sort of offsets, um, you know, it makes it okay for those ridiculous liquor laws. Um, so, you know, th- th- that's the only reason why I wanted to get in on this uh, article here. It- it's that idea that, why is it a shock when the majority of conservatives vote in a conservative government and then why the hell are people staying there if it's such a bad place you know I mean you, th- I saw this months ago when I first reported about Mubarak getting ousted um, and you should have seen it too Egypt I don't, I don't get it alright that's going to do it for this Infernal Informant we're going to have a short break on the other side we're going to jump right into Creature Feature
You know, dogs are different than cats. And hey, what if Jack Nicholson were a- Hey, what if We Are the World was sung by the cast of Friends? I think it might go something like this. Hi, everyone. I'm Jay Leno. Anyone remember when I was funny? Eat Doritos. Ladies and gentlemen, Dane Cook. Are you fed up with comedy that's made for the masses? Sick of stand-up comedian hacks with the same old routines that you've heard a thousand times before? Equally tired of shock jocks who equate loudness with laughter? Hello, my name is Reverend Bill M., creator and host of The Devil's Mischief, a show where every week I present a new hour of comedy and novelty of devilish proportions. So tune in to The Devil's Mischief. Visit devilsmischief.com or radiofreesatan.com to download the latest podcast. The Devil's Mischief. Carnal comedy clips and netherworld novelty numbers simply not made for the masses. Hello, my name's Dave Ingram. And I'm Donovan. And we are Metal Breakfast Radio. Inviting you to join us with a few beers each week. For a dose of metal scrutiny. Some verbal skullduggery. And a hell of a lot of rubbish. Rubbish! Find us on metalbreakfastradio.com, darksentinel.dk, and radiofreesatan.com. host of Deep Six Radio. And I am in Russ. Yes, we are. So if you want to be one of the six taking on the oh-so-lovely Idris and want to be featured on the show... Send your emails... And MP3s... To us at... Deep Six... At RadioFreeSatan.com Include a bio... And anything you want mentioning on air. We are open to any genre... Apart from rap. Deep Six also includes a fine selection of alternative rock... As well as multiple other genres. So why not jump on the roller coaster? That is Deep Six Radio. Deep Six is available on... RadioFreeSatan.com And also iTunes... A week later, we, we look, look forward, forward to, to you joining us. End of the line. Oh, God. No. Just me. <laughs> Did you know that after the heart stops beating, the brain can function for well over seven minutes? We got six more minutes to play. Why are you screaming when I haven't even cut you yet? Welcome to Creature Feature. Welcome to Creature Feature. I'm being joined by Ann Oxer, editor of Lilith Awakened, available now. Thank you so much for joining me, Ann. How are you tonight? I'm doing quite well, thank you. How about yourself? Not too shabby. Well, a little goofy and not too shabby, though. Uh, I, you know, and as soon as I saw this collection was available on... Actually, I saw it on Facebook. 
I wanted to uh, have you and some of the other women who had contributed on the show to talk about it. Um, I had grown up witnessing some um, abuse toward my mom and my sister, so I sort of, you know, have a connection with it. I want to absolutely get a message out there um, about these different problems that I think are, are you know, out there. And, and if, you know, it's it's one of those things where if you're aware of it, um, then you're less likely to do it, I would like to think. Um, and people sharing their stories, I think, is important. Uh, help, you know, my listenership grow as individuals and me as, uh, as part of this show, too. So um, thank you so much for joining me. I do really appreciate your time. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Well, first, I would like to say thank you for inviting me to your show. This is a great honor for me, and I'm excited to be talking about the book. About myself... I retired from 17 years of military service as a sergeant in the United States Army. Oh, that's amazing. Yes, that's, I'm sir. sorry to interrupt. I was also in the military as a sergeant. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't last as long as you did, though. Sorry. So, okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Service, however long you lasted. <laughs> My military occupational specialty was an automated logistical specialist, which is a fancy way of saying that I was a box kicker. I worked in a warehouse. <laughs> And specifically, I dealt with hazardous materials, ammunition, and radioactive commodities. I was the point of contact for anyone um, or anything involving the handling, storing, inventorying, and transporting the aforementioned commodities. I received an honorable medical discharge from the military for post-traumatic stress disorder due to my traumas, which I will elaborate more in depth about later in the interview. Because of all the ugliness, hatred, and destruction I was subjected to while in military service, I spend my days now writing, knitting, crocheting, spinning, sewing, and so forth. I have chosen to counter the 17 years of destruction by being one who chooses to create beautiful items instead of being one who contributes to destruction. Nice. Um, It's got to be tough. And maybe we'll touch on this in a little bit, but to... Okay, I'm, I'm coming from a position of ignorance, not having experienced, um, you know, your personal experience here. But it's, it's, it seems like it should be really tough to turn around something that, that, that could be such a, a negative act into, or a negative experience into something that you know, might help other people or, or, or just help yourself, really, in, in, in putting it out there. Uh, is it something that you ever hesitated doing? You know, for the longest time, it... It was advised to me by my therapist and different counselors and uh, different uh, people in medical positions, uh, therapeutic positions, to keep my story to myself. But it only serves to help me if I keep the story to myself. And I wanted to be able to help other people. And the only way I could do that was to... um, be forthcoming with what has happened to me and uh, Lilith Awakened is the mode in which I'm using to allow that to happen nice well uh, I'm going to leave that as a bit of a teaser I want to talk a little bit about uh, Satanism with you for a second Um, as I do with all the guests when did you first realize that you were a Satanist well Adam I was raised in a very non-religious household 
My mother is a Methodist and my father is agnostic. There was no pressure for me to be religious or non-religious. The understanding in the household was that religion was something I should uh, decide for myself as to whether or not I choose to engage in any sort of practice. Um, So what I did was I spent most of my childhood reading occult books from my father's bookshelf and (laughs) anything occult that I could get my hands on at the library. Magic and mystery always fascinated me. Mm-hmm. In the latter part of my teens, I attended the local Church of Christ, which was more for the ability to see my boyfriend at the time instead of <laughs> for any religious reasons. Right. Um, <laughs> but I did attend church for a while. Um, when I moved out of the house, I discovered Wicca and was immediately drawn to it for the psychodrama and the ability to affect positive change in your life through the use of magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I eventually discovered is that there's a whole hell of a lot of drama in the Wiccan community. Oh, uh, really? Oh, goodness, yes. <laughs> I, you know, what's that show that Snooky's on? The uh, Jersey Shore? Uh, yeah, Jersey, so- Jersey Shore ain't, doesn't have anything on the Wiccan community. Whoa, uh, nice. <laughs> I had no <laughs> idea. Yeah. Yeah, uh, most of the people are very poor, undereducated, and they're egomaniacs out for themselves and aren't afraid to hurt other people who stand in their way to their passive greatness. You know, of course, not every follower of Wicca is this way. This was just my personal experience. So uh, one day I decided that enough was enough. I hung up my high priestess robe and went on a quest to find something more compatible with my own moral compass. I picked up a copy of The Satanic Witch in my local bookstore when I was around, I want to say, 20, 21 years old. And I was astonished to discover that almost everything in the book was what I was already employing in my life. I discovered that I was a natural Satanic Witch. This led me to pick up a copy of The Satanic Bible and other works by Dr. LeVay and eventually books by Magister Peter Gilmore. And I found that all these works served to codify what it was that I naturally already was. Nice. I've heard a lot of these stories, and I don't think I've ever heard a Satanic Witch was the first book before. But I know with me, it it ended up actually being the second book that I picked up um, of the the three first books that Anton LaVey wrote. And uh, it struck a huge chord with me, not because... uh, I ever saw myself as a satanic witch, but because I always identified with that, I was raised by women, and so I always identified with this feminine aspect in my life, um, and, and being able to see that represented on the page was always fascinating to me. Um, I think it's very neat that someone else uh, found that first, too. That's that's interesting. Yeah, do, you th- do, you. do you think you would have, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if, if it was on the shelf at the same time, but would you be more inclined, because of your occult um, practices so far to have picked up the Satanic Witch because of the title versus the Satanic Bible if they were side by side? Absolutely. The reason the Satanic Witch appealed to me was uh, actually for two reasons. One, it spoke to me as a person that was coming from a Wiccan background or a witch background. And the other reason was that the Satanic Witch was one of the most disgusting books as far as the Wiccan community was concerned. Um, everybody really? I ever, uh, 
Right. Everybody that I ever spoke to about the book in the Wiccan community uh, was, uh, it just got very negative reviews from my peers in the community, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to find out what this is all about for myself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I always question. That's great. Do you mind me delving a little bit more? I know this is completely off topic, or or kind of off topic anyway. Um, What was it about? Did they have any, like, like solid points to it or was it just sort of, well, it's not our version of magic. So it's got to be crap. I mean, what was the ideology behind it being so bad? The biggest thing that I heard from other members in the Wiccan community was the uh, disgustingness of the book. Uh, There's a portion in the book where, Oh gosh, you're going to challenge my memory now where uh, Dr. LeVay was talking about a woman who would purposefully soil her underwear and then bend over so her boss could see that and use that as one of her her methods of working for satanic witchery. And, uh, you know, of course, the Wiccan community, instead of seeing that as, okay, this is something that served that particular person, assumed that, oh, my gosh, all satanic women have to, you know shit and piss in their Satanists, so no, we're not going to do that. Oh, that was great. Great. All right, well, (laughs) you never know unless you ask. That's funny. Um, Okay, well, how about we talk about why you actually came on the show, why I'm so excited to have you on here. Um, How did Lilith Awaken come about? What was sort of the genesis of that? Well, the impetus for Lilith Awakened uh, came about with a conversation I had about a year ago with Josephine Seven. Um, I'm sure many of your listenership are familiar with her. Mm -hmm. Um, We were discussing how uh, many women we knew who were Satanists and had been abused, raped, had severe mental challenges, a combination of the three, and so on, uh, yet they all found strength and healing through being a Satanic witch and a woman. Uh, Josephine suggested that we put together a collection of stories of strength for other satanic witches who may be experiencing similar situations. At the time, Miss Josephine was quite busy with other irons in the fire and decided to hand the reins of the project over to me in order to get things rolling and going. Were were you ever, um, have you, you know, not being sure about this, have you ever had experience with, um, compiling the written word before. Was this your first foray into anything like this? This was my first foray into being a editor with a uh, collection of stories written by other people. Um, I have written uh, one book that was published shortly before that. Uh, that's uh, Rose, Reflections of a Satanic Elitist, and that was completely my own work. But yes, this was the first book that I had to... Uh, even though I dearly love all these women, herd cats to get them to get their stories in on time and <laughs> get the editing work done. And come on, I've got a deadline. Please get me your story. So yes, this was my first time with that. Wow. I guess my next question here would be how you found so many women willing to share. I mean, these are deeply personal experiences, and it seems like it would be something that, um, you know... I, Yes, individually, a common misconception that not many people would like to share. How did you? How did you first? We're going to do two parts here. <laughs> how did you first find this many um, satanic women to? Or and just, I mean, are there non-satanic men, women that are um, sharing in this? 
Uh, no, sir. These are all uh, women that are satanic witches. Not all of them necessarily belong to the Church of Satan, but all of the women are satanic. I just identify as Satanist. That's great. How did you find that many of them? I mean, did you did you just know them already, and you just reached out to them, or I mean, was it sort of friend through a friend type deal? Well, certainly this was not a topic that I could bring up at the, you know, latest party meet and greet over coffee. <laughs> hey, you got yeah. any stories you want to share with me? <laughs> that that kind of uh, way of finding out the stories wasn't going to work. So, um, believe this coffee cake, it's great. Oh, by the way, were you ever abused? Yeah, yeah, yeah that wasn't quite uh, the way I handled the situation. You know, I, I'm I'm never one to do anything in half measures, so I pretty much just sounded the clarion call for submissions by uh, drafting up a standard message um, asking for women who were willing to share their stories, and I sent it out to every satanic woman I knew, uh, whether I knew if they had had traumatic issues or not, because some people I, I wasn't sure. Um, I knew by doing this that I might get some negative feedback, um, you know, from people who are like, oh, I don't want to talk about my story, or, you know what, that's none of your business. You know, I, I was, that was my horror, was waking up the next day and finding in my inbox all these nasty messages, but... Yeah. Um, the next day, I actually was very surprised to receive immediate and very positive feedback from all the women who had received my request. Oh, wow. um, some of the women were enthusiastic in their willingness to share their stories and be a part of the project. Other women weren't really at a place in their lives where they were willing to share their stories, but they were extremely supportive of the project. And, of course, there were the women who didn't have a story to tell, but they still sent words of encouragement to see the project through to its completion. That's great. So I, when, when compiling a book like this, when um, reaching out to so many satanic women and, and asking them to submit, at any time did, did anyone ask, well, well how are you going to use this? Or did you already sort of um, breach that subject in the email during your call for submissions? You know, what, I guess when putting together a volume like this, uh, what's your target audience that you're trying to uh, well, target? The target audience wasn't solely abused women, but obviously it's going to be a very large part of the demographic because of the title, Lilith Awakened. Mm -hmm. uh, there were actually many satanic men whom I spoke to about the book and the project, um, and they were very interested in receiving a copy of the finished work as the men were more than willing to support the ladies who had triumphed over their horrible situations in life. Um, some of the men were uh, partners or boyfriends or fiancés or husbands of the ladies who had um, dealt with these traumas and uh, they were willing to support it as much as they possibly could. The men as well as the ladies were also quite happy to hear that the proceeds from the sale of the book were going to be donated to the National Violence Against Women Prevention Research Center. And I made that abundantly clear in the message that I sent out to all the women that I wasn't, this was not a project that I was attempting to make money at. Mm -hmm. This was something that I wanted to do for the greater good, so to speak, um, to reach out to... and be a source of strength and a resource for other satanic women to read the book and help them through their traumas. 
That's great. I, and I think it's going to be fascinating is seeing how it's received after a year, after three to five years. And, you know, this it has a drive of its own that is an immensely personal, uh, really private but powerful outsiders, uh, the herd as it were, would not expect to come from a satanic source. Um, I'm, I'm really curious as to see how it's going to be taken from that point. And when you when you do, I mean, how are you are are you sort of um, collecting the proceeds, holding them for X amount of time, and then submitting like a formal check, or is it just as it comes in, you're going to forward it on to the organization? How, have you have you thought about how you're going to do that? Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm going to forward a check every six months from the sale of uh, the books. There's a couple of expenses that I had to put up front. Um, the illustration work, which was done by Jeremiah Buckle, he's a good friend of mine. Thanks. I had to pay him for his um, creative genius, <laughs> and uh, a couple of uh, uh, equipment replacement items. Nothing really too major, but I, I've got a few bucks tied up in that and once uh, that's been replaced then everything else will go to the uh, the research center nice have you ever thought about um, and maybe I'm just sort of jumping ahead here have you ever thought about uh, press releases to uh, publications to get the word out yes yes that is something that is in the works I've actually had a couple of um, uh, publications contact me um, after I uh, released the information that the book was available for purchase and they are wanting to do interviews with me as well and put them in their different publications. I, I can't say any names right now, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, there's there's uh, going to be more interviews and more uh, uh, releases, uh, press releases in the works. That's great. Yeah, you always want to, especially if something is, is really important as this, you want to get out to as vast an audience as possible because, uh, I mean, once it takes off, it's going to be, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed here, uh, just an amazing return for this organization. Um, let's talk a little bit about, if you're, if you're willing here, you, you, the personal experience that you related in this, um, in this uh, collection here. Uh, and understandably, uh, you know, to the audience, um, you know, there there may be some uh, graphic descriptions. So if this is something that you are uncomfortable hearing, uh, as much as I hate to say it, turn the podcast off now. Um, otherwise, uh, if you're willing, Anne, um, you know uh, what what are some of the experiences that you uh, you had uh, put down in this book? I will be very happy to um, give you that information. One caveat before I begin, though. My personal story is not in the current edition of Lilith Awakened. Okay. Um, one of the situations that I experienced is still under investigation by uh, federal authority authorities, and therefore I was advised by my attorney to not put it in the book. Uh, there will be a second edition of the book put out as soon as the investigation is complete, and my attorney gives me the go-ahead, and then people will be able to read uh, my personal story, but all the other ladies, their stories are in there. Um, so I decided for the interview that there are a couple situations that I am quite willing to share at this time. Um, as you said, these are very graphic. 
Um, they may be disturbing to some people, but um, these are actually what I'm going to be putting in the book, and I think it's important that people understand that uh, I took this work very seriously, and I took the presenting of my story and the other lady's stories very seriously. So, uh, the first incident that, well, I, won't, I shouldn't say the first incident, these are two incidents I'm going to talk about that happened to me while I was in the military. In August of 1994, I attended a uh, barbecue hot tub type party at my platoon sergeant's house. Uh, most of my other uh, members of my platoon were in attendance, and during the course of the party, my platoon sergeant, his girlfriend, and I were the only ones in the hot tub for the duration of 20 minutes or so. I had uh, never been in a hot tub before, so I basically leaned back, relaxed, and kind of dozed off, fell asleep. Um, after I had dozed off, I felt my platoon sergeant slide up against me in the hot tub, and before I knew it, he had stuck his fingers under my very modest bathing suit bottom and proceeded to penetrate my vagina. Uh, now, I was a virgin at the time, and when I came to and realized what he was doing, um, I was very shocked, of course, and I couldn't say anything. Um, there was blood in the water because... Yeah. At the time, I was a virgin, and also he was being extremely rough with me. Um, during the course of the event, I tried to push his hand and his body away from me, which at that point, he leaned over and whispered in my ear, if you continue to struggle, I will ruin your military career. So the penetration continued for approximately 10 minutes in which I, I was just absolutely terrified and could only freeze and, and uh, forgive the term, but pray for the encounter to be over. Uh, I wasn't a Satanist at the time of that encounter, so uh, right. I didn't care who answered my prayer at that time, whether it was God, Buddha, Allah, Satan, I didn't care. I just wanted it to be over. Right. Um, after he was done, I jumped out of the hot tub, ran and put regular clothes on, and left the party. Um, I told no one about the encounter. No one in my unit, no one in my family, none of my friends, uh, nothing. Because I was afraid of the repercussions I would receive, and um, I didn't want my military career to be ruined. And at the age that I was, I didn't know about such things as, you know... Uh, reporting that sort of thing and it being taken care of by the proper authorities. I was just scared to death of what my platoon sergeant had uh, said to me. So I ended up transferring myself to another unit to get away from him, which thankfully that request went through and I didn't have to explain why I wanted to leave the unit. Um, Many years later, after this incident, my former platoon sergeant took a job working full-time at the warehouse where I was employed, and yes, I had to see him five days a week, eight hours or more a day. Jeez. He uh, was very nasty to me. He would say nasty and hateful things about me to other people in the workplace, things like, 
I was a fat slut, a whore, um, and I was easy, and um, just many other degrading things. And this caused me great stress and anxiety in the workplace. Um, it, it was just, it was just tremendously difficult for me to continue working there. Um, however, at the time, I was married and had a child to take care of, so obviously quitting my job was not um, going to be the right thing to do for my family, and so I just did my best to deal with it as much as I possibly could. Man. That was the first incident. Um, the second incident that happened was in June of 1996. I was at annual training at Fort Bliss, Texas. Um, it was approximately two in the morning and I was asleep in a private barracks room with the door locked. Um, somehow five men broke into my room and physically assaulted me. Four of the men held both my arms and legs while the other man attempted to penetrate me. I cried and begged him to stop because I was on my period and had a tampon in my vagina. The man attempting to penetrate me pulled the tampon out of me and shoved it in my mouth and proceeded to duct tape my mouth shut for the duration of the rape. Holy fuck. The men took turns raping me vaginally and also anally for around approximately two hours. Um, I pretty much lost track of time. That's, that's a pretty much an educated guess. Um, some of the men pinched me and bit me, especially on my breasts and inner thighs. Um, and it was just torture for two hours. Whatever they could do to humiliate, degrade, or harm me, they did. Um, I recognized one of the men's voices as being an officer in my unit, but I was not physically able to see him as it was completely dark in the room. Uh, once again, the man whose voice I re recognized threatened me not to tell anyone of the incident as I would lose my military rank and ruin my career. I believe at the time I was a specialist, which for those who don't know is the fourth rank up in the enlisted system. He also informed me that if I told anyone of the incident, the next time would, would be much worse for me. When I got back to my unit after annual training was over, I told the unit chaplain about the incident. I told the chaplain whom I thought the man, at least one of the men were. Within a couple of weeks, that man got transferred to another unit. Um, that's how the military dealt with stuff. What is that, 20 years ago? Is that correct? Yeah, about that. Jeez. Yeah, and you know... These incidents have caused me continual nightmares with severe sleep deprivation, panic attacks, anxiety disorder, eating disorders, overeating, undereating, um, and it finally just got to the point where I, um, I cried uncle and I went to the VA hospital to try to allay some of these symptoms and get the counseling and the medication and the help that I needed to deal with these traumas. Oh man, I, I'm I'm so terribly sorry. I, I that's horrible. Um, if 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 you can, 
could you maybe go into a little bit about how uh, later in life Satanism would help you through um, some of these just horrid incidents? Absolutely. Um, first of all, I knew that in both situations, neither one was my fault. Yeah. I never had any um, feelings of guilt that, you know, well, maybe if I had done this or I hadn't done that or if I hadn't been here or whatever, never had any of those um, thoughts cross my mind. Um, nothing was my fault. This was all on the men, responsibility to the responsible. Yeah. In conjunction with therapy, I employed both lesser and greater magic in order to bring, uh, I say vengeance, but uh, justice against the men who harmed me instead of trying to understand and forgive them, which is what is touted as the correct thing to do in those other religions and philosophies. Um, my thought was that all the men bothered me in open territory, and therefore they found themselves at the brunt end of my wrath. Um, oh, yeah. I don't know about all the gentlemen. Um, I do know one of the men has a very debilitating um, illness right now, and uh, he probably doesn't have much longer to live. And... Um, the other men, I believe, were kicked out of the military for various and sundry other reasons. Good. Uh, personally, um, intense therapy with a counselor who was Satan-friendly was an immense help and relief. And I went through probably, uh, I want to say, five or six counselors until I found one that, number one, was friendly to my religious beliefs, and number two, had experienced um, something similar. Um, I wanted to be counseled by somebody who had felt the feelings and knew what I was going through on a personal basis instead of having somebody, you know, patronizing me or saying, oh, it'll be okay, or, you know, whatever they would say. I, I wanted to make sure somebody w was really going to be on the same sheet of paper yeah. with um, The counselor that I ended up with, who is absolutely wonderful, um, instead of asking me to work on understanding and forgiveness of the men, she has taught me ways of managing my PTSD, which is what I needed. I needed you know, tools to manage my symptoms and what was going on with me. One of the things that people don't realize after a traumatic event is not only do you have the memories of what has happened to you, but there are also something called triggers which are implanted in your subconscious that you may not be aware of. Um, a trigger, for example, I still remember the smell of the cologne that one of the men who raped me at Fort Bliss was wearing. Anytime I am out and about doing my shopping or whatever, and I catch a whiff of that particular cologne on another man, my survival instincts go into high alert. And if I don't calm myself down in time, I can end up in a full-blown panic attack, which that is not a fun thing to be in. If any of your listenership has ever had a panic attack, they're horrible. Yeah, sure. They, they just take over you and you're, you're debilitated for 
anywhere from a few minutes to a few days. It, it's you just don't know. Um, my counselor has been wonderful in helping me to lessen the after effects of my of my uh, traumatic experiences to a manageable level, and for that I'm very grateful. Wow, um, it, it it takes a lot of strength, I imagine, to come as far as you have with this um, and a hell of a lot of courage to share it in the way you have so um, you know, uh, thank you thank you for that and thank you um, you know, I mean, it's, it's what, what do you hope with this collection, um, with your story um, how would you like to see it received, what, what, what are your hopes of, of sharing this and I know we touched on it briefly before, but I, I'm kind of going to do it again. Okay. Well, I will say that there has been some concern expressed by a few individuals that uh, Lilith Awakening comes across as a sort of self-help manual for Satanists that have experienced trauma. And this was not my intention at all with the tone. I am in no way, shape, or form saying that Satanism is the answer to your experience of trauma and that people should convert to Satanism in order to help deal with their situations. I'm, I'm certainly not looking for converts, and I know the Church of Satan isn't either, so that, that was not my plan at all. And What I intended with the, to with the tome and what it was designed to be is a source of strength for other women, and even men, um, they can find uh, strength in the stories as well, who have already recognized that they are Satanists. So they, they're already a Satanist when they come in contact with this book. And that, yes, you can get through your traumatic events with grace, dignity, and by employing the tenets and philosophy of Satanism. And I would like to say that Lilith Awakened is not a substitute for the need for acute medical, psychological, or psychiatric care. It is a tool in your toolbox, and it's meant to assist you in the process of recovering from traumatic events. Nice. Uh, I wouldn't imagine. You know, there's a number of things in life that I, just me personally, I see as transcending um, a religious connection. Um, and, and when it comes to survival, um, overcoming adversity, certainly, you know, there's, there's a, you know, there's this sort of backbone in, in Satanism that's there, and, and the fact that these are Satanic women sharing these stories, that's there. But, yeah, I, I can't even imagine how it would be perceived as sort of a, a call to abused women to turn to Satanism as some form. I mean, that's... It's almost insulting to what it really means and, and what it really can be, and that's just, uh, you know, some, some powerful women sharing horrible, horrible moments in their lives and being able to overcome them. And, that, and like I said before, that, that sort of transcends a connection when it's something is, you know, like a, an idea, a framework of religion or philosophy. Um, that, that's a little bit deeper, and, and yeah. I know that the connection with that is with Satanism is a little bit different because we're we're much more in tune with with 
innate behaviors that are just, you know, core to who human beings are and what human beings are, but I still would like to think that this falls into that realm of it doesn't matter what your religious background is, it doesn't matter uh, uh, who or what, you know, you come from, you know, this is just some very intimate, powerful, inspirational stories that that's all that needs to be said about it, you know? Right. Well, there's a lot of uh, books out there that you can easily find mainstream that are Christian in nature that tell stories of, you know, women that have survived traumatic events and have turned to God and they've, you know, been helped out in their lives or, or you know, Buddhism or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that was what people were perceiving this book as being. And it wasn't that at all. It, like I said, it's just an inspiration for women who just happen to be satanic and happen to have had these events and that they know and they feel less disconnected because they know that there are other women out there who have experienced uh, similar issues. And um, I don't know that it'll make the women feel better, but maybe feel uh, less disconnected from um, their uh, sisters in Satanism. Yeah. Well, um, amazing, um, amazing strength in, in telling this horrid, horrid story and, and what you've come through. Thank you so much for coming on to talk about it. Um, what, you know, you'd mentioned, I'm, I'm going to try to lighten it a little bit if we can. Yes. What of uh, you'd mentioned Rose before uh, your first um, jump into literature? Uh, do you want to talk about that briefly? Absolutely. Uh, Rose is an acronym for Reflections of a Satanic Elitist, and um, there's really no overall theme to the book. It's more my musings on uh, life. Uh, my musings on things that I've observed, my musings on uh, the psychology of people. Uh, one of my degrees is in psychology. Nice. And I I just wanted to put it out there because so many people were, uh, I tend to put a lot of Facebook notes out there, and so many people were reading them and were like, wow, you have really great you know, perceptions and ideas and thoughts. You know, you should put them in a book someday and so I thought well I'm going to put them into a book someday and I did and um, Rose has been very well received I've had a lot of people uh, purchase purchase it and read it for which I am very thankful if anyone out there listening has done so um, it, it was my first work um, and it was my first foray into self-publishing so I, it was a learning process for me, for which I'm very grateful for, because I wanted to publish that before I did Lilith Awaken to make sure I understood the process and what I needed to do and all the ins and outs of self-publishing. Yeah. Um, so where can they go to pick up? Where can anyone go to pick up Rose? Uh, Rose and Lilith Awaken both are available on Lulu, uh, lulu.com, and... Uh, you can either search for it under my name, which is Ann Oxier, um, A-N-N-O-X-Y-E-R, or you can search for it under Rose or Lilith Awakened. 
And is there anywhere else online that people can go to learn a little bit more about Lilith Awakened? Um, do you have a, a, a fan page? Do you have a, a website? Um, no, sir. I, I haven't gotten that far yet. However, I will say that I'm working on a revision of the book to allow it to be downloaded to uh, like the Kindles and the Nooks and yeah. also for it to be available for sale on Amazon. I would say that's probably another month or so in the works. Nice. Um, yeah, and, and I think any volume like this is, you know, it... As as a man coming into this, um, it's it, it puts me in a, a place where it's it's challenging to hear some of the things. I hate to think of being connected to a sex that would do stuff like this, um, but I I understand that it's more than that. It's it's really these deep seated uh, dysfunctions in these individuals that are doing it. Um, it. But it does you know there's this level of 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 shame almost that I have just being connected just via sex with with people like this. Uh, if you're out there um, and and you would like to hear some powerful women talk about their personal experience and how they use Satanism to get through it, uh, not every experience is like this that Anne shared, uh, but all of them are important to understand what we as Satanists are capable of overcoming and the really shitty world we live in. Um, thank you, Anne, so much for joining me. Everyone, get out there, pick up Lilith Awakened, help support this cause. Uh, it's an important one that benefits everyone. Um, I hope you have a great night. Hail Satan. That's going to do it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the SatanNet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9CentsPodcast.com. You can also subscribe via iTunes by searching 9 cents and don't forget to leave a rating or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit ChurchOfSatan.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit RadioFreeSatan.com an online streaming radio station. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I am your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, Hail Satan!